Jesus was either a liar, a lunatic, or he was Lord. Jesus came right on time. He was anointed as Messiah exactly as the Bible said he would be. God has given us abundant, credible evidence for Christ's divinity so that when he invites us to accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior, the decision is a very easy one to make. So if he wasn't a liar and if he wasn't a lunatic, then there is no other option. It must be that he was and is who he claimed to be, the long-expected Messiah, God incarnate, the Savior of the world and Lord of all. Embedded almost in the center of the Bible, you're going to find a prophecy that is so explosive in its fulfillment that there are those who have been spending the last two and a half thousand years trying to cover it up. And they've been very successful because I can almost guarantee that you've never heard of these four simple verses from the book of Daniel. That's what we're going to study today. In fact, this prophecy is so controversial that there was an ancient religious order that endeavoured to ban anyone from reading it and a secret society, a violent secret society from the Dark Ages that did all that they could to cover it over. And of course, whenever you get a prophecy like that, you know that's something that I want to know something about. And so we go to Daniel chapter 9. This is a prophecy that is all about Jesus Christ. In Daniel chapter 9, the Bible says, and the prophecy begins in verse 24, but we'll begin in verse 23. The angel Gabriel is talking to Daniel. He says, At the beginning of your request, the commandment came forth, and I have come to show you, for you are greatly beloved. Therefore, understand the matter and consider the vision. It's actually an explanation that Gabriel is giving of a much longer prophecy that came in chapter 8. But that's a subject for another episode on this program. Verse 24, the Bible says, 70 weeks are cut off for your people and your holy city to finish transgression, to make an end of sins, to make reconciliation for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness and to seal up the vision and prophecy and to anoint the most holy. There's some interesting events that take place right here, but there are two of them that jump off the page and I want you to notice what they are. Notice what it says here, to make reconciliation for iniquity and to bring in everlasting righteousness. That is the work of Jesus Christ. Only Jesus ever made reconciliation for iniquity and he did that on the cross. And so here we have a prophecy coming hundreds of years before Jesus came, showing what Jesus would do. But when would Jesus do that? Does the Bible even tell us when Jesus would come and when this prophecy would be fulfilled? Notice what it goes on to say in verse 25. Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the commandment to restore and to rebuild Jerusalem, 
unto Messiah the Prince shall be seven weeks and 62 weeks. Notice what we have here, friends. We have a prophecy that specifies the coming of the Messiah. The Bible simply says that from the going forth of the commandment to restore and rebuild Jerusalem to Messiah the Prince is going to be seven weeks and 62 weeks, which makes 69 weeks in total. So 69 weeks after the commandment to restore and to rebuild Jerusalem, we can expect the coming of the Messiah. The question we have to ask ourselves is, did that actually happen? Did the Messiah arrive and did he arrive on time? There are two aspects that we need to discover before we can decode this prophecy. First of all, we need to note that in the Bible, in Bible prophecy, apocalyptic prophecy, a day symbolizes a year. And as we mentioned earlier, this little section here of four verses is part of a much longer prophecy that is an apocalyptic end time prophecy. But this little section has been cut off to focus on Jesus Christ as our Messiah. A day symbolizes a year. Let's look at an example of this. This is a principle that is found throughout the Bible. We can find it from one end of the Bible to the other, but possibly one of the most popular verses that is used to demonstrate how it works is found in Ezekiel chapter 4 and verse 6, where the Bible says, and when you have accomplished them, by the way, this was an acted out prophecy that Ezekiel acted out in the marketplace each day. He says, when you've accomplished them, Uh, lie again on your right side. You shall bear the iniquity of the house of Judah 40 days. I have appointed you each day for a year. So there's our first clue. When it comes to understanding this prophecy, we need to recognize that in the Bible, a day symbolizes a year. Well, if we go back to the prophecy, the next thing that we need to find out is when does the time period begin? The Bible says that it begins with the commandment to restore and to rebuild Jerusalem. We've simply got to go back in our Bibles to the book of Ezra and find out when was that commandment made. And if we go back to the book of Ezra, we can read. In fact, we can read the whole commandment. We won't take the time to do that today. But we can read the date that is actually given for when this commandment went forth. The Bible says that Ezra went up from Babylon. This is chapter 7 and verse 6. He was a scribe in the law of Moses, the God of Israel, and the king granted him all his request according to the hand of the Lord, his God, which was upon him. There went up some of the children of Israel and the priests and the Levites and the singers, the porters, the Nethanim, unto Jerusalem in the seventh year of Artaxerxes the king. If you continue reading from there, you'll find that there is an exact date given for when they go up to Jerusalem, carrying with them the decree of Artaxerxes to complete the rebuilding and to restore the government of Jerusalem. You can read it all there in chapter 7. Now, you might ask the question at this particular point, but wasn't there two decrees that came before that? And wouldn't you calculate from the first one rather than the last one? Well, that's because we look at this from a Western perspective. We need to consider it from an Eastern perspective. You see, some months ago, I bought a house and that was exciting. I announced it on Facebook. I've bought a house. In fact, my wife and I, we bought a house together. 
But did we really buy a house? Well, actually, no, we didn't. You see, we all know how it goes, right? The bank bought a house and we're living in it. And in about 20 or 30 years time, then we might buy it when we finish paying off that mortgage. That's how it works, right? Well, from a Western perspective, we say, well, it begins when we first, you know, move into the house. We bought a house. But from an Eastern perspective, you won't date it from the beginning. You will date it from the completion, not the initiation. And this is what you have with the command to rebuild Jerusalem and to restore the government. You find that it was initiated by Cyrus the Persian. It was confirmed by Darius the Persian, and then it was finally completed by Artaxerxes the Persian. In fact, if we read about it in Ezra chapter 6 and verse 14, I want you to notice how the Bible describes the decree of Artaxerxes. It says this, the elders and the Jews, they built and they prospered according to the prophesying of Haggai the prophet and Zechariah the son of Iddo, and they built it and finished it, notice this, according to the commandment of the God of Israel. So here it is called the commandment of the God of Israel. And according to the commandment, singular, the single commandment of Cyrus and Darius and Artaxerxes of Persia. The other question, of course, that goes along with this is, well, how do we know when the seventh year of Artaxerxes was? Well, the great thing about the Persians was that they did not record their history in books that kind of rot away. Neither did they record their history on hard drives that, you know, regularly fail. And they certainly didn't record it anywhere in the cloud. You see, the Persians wanted their history to last forever and so they took their history and they literally carved their history in stone. And you can go to Iran today, like I have, and you can read their history, which I haven't because I can't read their language, but you can read their history there carved in stone. The other great thing about the Persians was that they were very keen followers of everything that happened in the night sky. And they would record every event of note that they saw. And so just in case they were a little bit out by a year or a two, astronomers today, because astronomy is an exact science, can tell us exactly when the seventh year of Artaxerxes was simply by the astronomical observations that were made during his reign. And the seventh year of Artaxerxes' reign was the year 457 BC. Having established that, let's go back to our prophecy and let's see whether it actually works. Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the commandment to restore and rebuild Jerusalem, that's 457 BC, unto Messiah the Prince, So unto the coming of Jesus will be seven weeks and 62 weeks. We have a time frame. Let's calculate that for a moment. It's rather simple. Seven weeks. So let's start here with seven weeks plus 62 weeks gives us a total of 69 weeks. Now, a day in Bible prophecy symbolizes a year. 
And so to understand this prophecy, we need to calculate how many days are there in this prophecy altogether. Okay, so then we simply take the number seven times our 69 and that gives us a total of 483 days in total. So if we have 483 days, then we have 483 years. So we simply go from there and we minus from that 457 BC because that's when the Bible says that the decree went out to restore and to rebuild Jerusalem. So we then go minus 457 and that will give us the year almost of the coming of the Messiah, 26 AD. No, Jesus didn't come in 26 AD. We need to do one more calculation and that is to add one year to sync the calendar for the ADBC crossover. So let's do that very quickly. Plus one equals 27 AD. Now I know at this particular point, you're all sitting there thinking, well, you know what? Lyle's kind of messed up here because we all know that Jesus was not born in 27 AD. Jesus was was born in 4 BC. That's another story. They kind of messed it up when they invented AD BC, about 600 years after the birth of Jesus. We've since been able to correct those calculations. So if Jesus was born in 4 BC, then how is it that the prophecy is out so much that it gives us the year 27 AD. Well, that's because you may not have considered all of the implications and requirements of this prophecy right here. I'm going to show you something right now that will absolutely blow your mind. You see, in the Bible and in the book of Daniel, Jesus goes by many different names. He's called the Messiah but he's also called the Son of Man. He's also called the Son of God. He's also called Emmanuel. He's also called God with us. He's also called Jesus. And we could go on and on and on down through the list of names and titles that Jesus has. And whenever the Bible uses a name or a title for Jesus, it does so with a specific meaning in mind. It never does it randomly. And I want you to notice which name the Bible uses right here. You see in verse 25, the Bible says, from the going forth of the commandment to restore and to rebuild Jerusalem unto, not Jesus, not the Lamb of God, not the Son of God, but unto Messiah. Now you might wonder, well, what does the word Messiah mean? When you understand what the word Messiah means, you will understand this prophecy right here. You see, the word Messiah means the anointed one. 27 AD, let's ask ourselves the question, did anything of significance happen in 27 AD? Well, it most certainly did. You see, it was in 27 AD that Jesus being about 30 years old, as the Bible says, was baptised by John in the Jordan River. Now, you will remember that when Jesus was baptised in the Jordan River, the Bible says that as he came up out of the water, 
The Father spoke from heaven and said, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And the Holy Spirit descended as a dove, anointing him as the Messiah right on time. You see, friends, that's how accurate the Bible is. It's no wonder that Paul says, when the fullness of time came, or when the time was fulfilled, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, that was Jesus Christ. Right here, almost in the middle of the Bible, we have four short verses, and within those four short verses, we have the most astounding messianic prophecy found anywhere in Scripture, a prophecy that cannot be denied and a prophecy that reveals unerringly that Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is the anointed one, the one anointed to give his life for you and I, the one anointed to bring salvation to this world, the one anointed to bring hope back to our hopeless planet and to bring joy back into your life today. That's why Jesus came. The Bible says that he came. In fact, it continues on here. It says after that 62-week period, Messiah will be cut off, but not for himself. Why not for himself? When the Bible speaks about Messiah being cut off, that means that he's dying. Not for himself. No, and that sounds kind of strange, but it's not because Jesus died for you and for me. And that's the best news that we can ever hear. Now, there's more to this prophecy yet. You see, it gets even better. You see, if we go back to the very beginning of the prophecy, here's what we find. 70 weeks are cut off for your people, for Daniel's people. Then it goes on and it says that from the going forth of the commandment to restore and to rebuild Jerusalem unto Messiah will be 69 weeks. So if we take 70 and now we've dealt with 69 and we know what happens within those 69, how many weeks have we got left? Well, of course, just one. And how many days are there in a week? Well, we know the answer to that. There are seven. And how, what does a day symbolise in Bible prophecy? Well, a day symbolises a year. So we've got seven years left, don't we? We need to ask ourselves the question, what happens in these last seven years. I want you to follow this because this will blow your mind. Notice what it says in verse 27 now. And he, that's the Messiah, shall confirm the covenant, the everlasting covenant. That's the only covenant that you find in the Bible. He will confirm the covenant with many for one week. There's your last week, your last seven days or seven years. And in the middle of the week, he will cause the sacrifice to come to an end, to cease, to be over and done with. Now think about this. The Bible says it would happen in the middle of the week. Well, a week is seven days long. The middle of the week is going to be three and a half days in. So what happens if we go from 27 AD when Messiah is anointed, when Jesus is anointed Messiah by the Holy Spirit at his baptism? go three and a half years from there, the Bible says the sacrifice would come to an end. Well, here's what we find. You go three and a half years, that's going to bring you to the year 31 AD. 
And in 31 AD, what happened? Jesus died on Calvary. And as Jesus died on Calvary, the Bible says that the veil of the temple, the veil that separated between the holy place and the most holy place, the veil that only the high priest could go through and only the high priest could go through there once a year, only the high priest could see what was on the other side of that veil in the most holy place. That veil that was 90 feet tall and a hand's breadth thick. The moment that Jesus died on Calvary and breathed his last began to tear and it was torn from the top all the way to the bottom. By unseen hands, it took place supernaturally. Why? Because God was speaking and God was saying the sacrificial system has come to an end. Jesus, the great sacrifice that all of these sacrifice of lambs had pointed forward to, has died on Calvary. And the good news is there is no longer need to sacrifice lambs. There is no longer need to look forward in hope to that one day when the Messiah would come and bring reconciliation for iniquity because reconciliation for iniquity has been made. It's been sealed. It's happened on Calvary. Notice what the Bible said. The Bible said it would be 69 weeks or 483 years until Messiah. And Messiah arrived right on time. Then the Bible said it would be three and a half years before Messiah brought an end to the sacrifice. Exactly three and a half years later, right on time, Jesus gave his life on Calvary and brought an end to the sacrifice. And that's why you and I don't sacrifice lambs today. We don't look forward to what Jesus would do. We look back on the historical reality that Jesus has given his life and won our salvation on Calvary. This is the best news ever. But you ask the question, the prophecy is not finished yet. We're only three and a half years into those last seven years. Where do those last three and a half years take us? Well, I'm going to show you something now. It gets even better. The whole way you go through this prophecy, every question that comes up, it just gets better because, you know, all of these questions, they come up and every time they do, it just confirms, confirms, confirms exactly what the Bible is saying. Let's go to the book of Acts. And in the book of Acts, we're going to start in chapter 1 and we're going to read the Great Commission and we're going to look at, well, what did Jesus do after he died and what did he tell the disciples to do? You will remember in Daniel 9 and verse 24, the Bible says 70 weeks are determined or cut off for your people, Daniel, the Jewish people. This is a time period that is specifically cut off for you. In Acts chapter 1, Jesus is about to ascend back into heaven. This is the last time that he'll ever see his disciples here on this earth. And in verse 8, Jesus makes this statement. But you will receive power after the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be witnesses unto me, watch this, in Jerusalem and then Judea and in Samaria and then 
to the uttermost part of the earth. And I like to think that when Jesus said the uttermost part of the earth, he was standing there with Australia in his mind because he knew that two and a half thousand years later or 2,000 years later, we would be here reading this passage in Australia. The Bible says begin in Jerusalem and then Judea and then Samaria. I want you to notice that there's a change that takes place in the Great Commission. Jesus says, begin in Jerusalem, begin with my people, begin right here where I died, right here where there is an empty tomb and no one can deny it because all they've got to do is go and have a look. Start here and then take the gospel to the whole world. He says, go from here, then go to Judea. Stay with my people. But then he says something interesting. Having done that, go to Samaria, the Palestinians, the Samaritans, and you know, those who are living close by, and then take the gospel to the farthest, the uttermost part of the world, the Bible says in Old English. I love the way it says it right there. Well, what happened? Well, for the next three and a half years, the disciples took the gospel to Jerusalem and to the Jewish people. It was the time period that was cut off for them. The prophecy ends in the year 34 AD. And we have to ask ourselves the question, what happened in 34 AD? To find out the answer to that, we simply go over to Acts chapter 7. You find a story here about Stephen, one of the first deacons, a powerful preacher who preaches a message to the Sanhedrin. They then take Stephen out of the city. They are so upset with what he is saying about the fulfillment of the prophecies of the Bible in relationship to the coming of the Messiah. They take him out, the Bible says, and they stone him to death. In other words, they take rocks at, take rocks and throw them at him until he is killed by that. The Bible says in chapter 8 and verse 1 that Paul was looking on, consenting to his death, That time there was a great persecution against the church which was at Jerusalem and the church was scattered abroad everywhere throughout the regions of Judea and notice this, Samaria. Remember the time, 34 AD. The prophecy is coming to an end. It was cut off for the Jewish people. What happens? Verse 4, Therefore those that were scattered abroad went everywhere preaching the word and Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ unto them. I want you to notice what happens right here. Right on time, the gospel for the very first time ever goes to the Gentiles. God takes this time period of 490 years and he cuts us off. It's going to be a special time for my people, for the Jewish people. This is something special for you. And Jesus says, I'm going to come at the very end of that. And Jesus came right on time. He was anointed as Messiah exactly as the Bible said he would be in 27 AD. Then, three and a half years later, just as the Bible said, He brought an end to the sacrifice by being cut off, not for himself, but for you and I. And then, just exactly as the Bible had said, just in case you had any last questions that Jesus was the Messiah, the gospel suddenly went like wildfire to the Gentile world. And that's why you and I right now can know and be certain that Jesus is the Messiah. And as we come to this Christmas period, 
where we remember the birth of Jesus and the coming of the Messiah, let us determine in our hearts to give our lives to him. He who died and gave his life for you and I, won't you make that decision for Jesus today?